Hi and welcome to Oxano Bites. Before we begin, a small insight into Oxano. We are a venture capital firm focused on investing in growth stage businesses. With a sector agnostic investment approach, we have a deep skin in the game and strive to drive growth in our portfolio companies while increasing our investors' wealth. We aim to enable and empower an entrepreneur's vision into reality. In conversation today with us, we have Mr. Anupam Kaul, who is Principal of Technology Consulting at IPAM Systems in Germany and has over 20 years of tech experience in digital strategy, roadmap creation, product engineering, and cross-functional program management for global rollouts. He has managed geographically distributed multicultural and multilingual teams in countries such as Germany, France, Netherlands, and India. He has worked across companies such as DRDO, Oracle, Egon Zander, Adidas, Heineken, and Sivantos, and is passionate about leveraging technology to deliver commercial value. Welcome, Anupam. Hi, Ajit. Thanks for having me. Let us start the session with the first question. When we talk about technology evolution, is it similar to how people, animals, reptiles evolve, or is it something completely different? So I think in terms of, there are, there are two aspects to evolution of technology. The first one is if you, if you just look at time scales. So if you look at human beings in our current form, apparently we have been in our current form for almost 230,000 years, like, like, like this. And if we look from a time scales perspective, and if you look at technology, you know, the industrial revolution began like 200, 250 years ago. And what we see in terms of information technology is mostly was introduced in the late 60s, early 70s. And when we talk about the majority of tech products and services, they are something that has been done over the last couple of decades. So if you look at from a time scale perspective, then we are talking about completely different things. So this is not comparable. There's the other aspect is in terms of evolution, whenever human life or biological uh, life has evolved, they have evolved because they needed to cater to their environment. So for example, you know, we had tails at some point in time, it was not being used. So over, over hundreds of thousands of years, we got rid of the tail. And then we were able to, you know, come to current form. So we basically we evolved to, to basically to cater to what the environment uh, needed us to. Whereas in technology, generally it's ahead of the curve. So what you would see in ten years from now uh, as a, as a commercialized, widely used technology uh, is something that is already there. You know, in the in the R and D space of organizations. If you look at e-commerce, for example, so it was. In, in 90, early 90s, it was also tried, but the timing was not right. We didn't have the ubiquitous of computers or networks. And because of that, it didn't work well. So, you know, it, the technologies sometimes, or most of the times are ahead of their time. So, so there is a difference, you know, in terms of hum, human evolution or biological evolution versus the tech evolution. The other aspect is also that what we are seeing is that what normally from an adoption perspective was something that was a technology which was in research and development and then came to market in 15 years. Now it is coming in a decade or in five years, depends on technology technology, but the time to go to market is reducing. So maybe in a couple of decades from now, I don't know, it might be that you create a technology comes, this is, you know, the R&D is complete and then it is commercialized and it, you know, it scales and is used at en masse. So that could happen. 
Um, but basically, yeah, that's that's my point of view on on this. So these two aspects. So I think uh, timeline cannot be compared when it comes to the human evolution versus technology. And as you rightly mentioned, I think technology builds the layer for the future, right? It's just about how quickly you can adapt that layer. The solutions is already there. Technology already gives us a solution. It's about how fast we are going to take those solutions. I think that's what and and, and be able to commercialize it. So yeah. so that's so that you know the technologies are only helpful that if they are being, you know, are they are for the benefit of the society somehow. So you know you need to commercialize. You need to create products and services which can be used. So that that movement from R and D to commercialization and then mass adoption. That's the lag that we see. Absolutely got it. So this brings to our second question, and very specifically for you know our country. Uh, speaking about technology, if we give a geographical twist, how do you see technology has evolved geographically and especially in India? Um, so let's let's go back to the last couple of hundred years, as as I said, uh, you know. Um, so the, so the, the industrial revolution began in the West, you know, the steam uh, engine, so to say, 200, somewhere around 1780s. In 1870s, it was more uh, the mass production, uh, automated production, so on and so forth that came, or electricity came. In 1960s, or, you know, uh, you, you had the electronics came into play, and which, which gave birth to computers and, and information technology. Um, and now we are in 2022, we are talking about cloud, AI, ML, digital business models. I mean, we have been talking for the last decade or so at, at scale. Um, so one of the things that we need to observe is that each revolution, so from steam engine to electrical, to electrical, to electronics, it was has been approximately 100 years. But the IT revolution is only 50 years. So 1972, now 2020. So it's, it's like it has halved. That's one. Um, and as far as in, and most of this happened in the West, but what has now hap is happening is, is a lot of what has been built in the technology space is being adopted and scaled in Asia back, whether it is India, China, you know, SEA countries. If you look at, you know, the, the digital revolution, the adopt, adoption of digital technologies and mass and at scale uh, has happened more in India, although their origins lie in the West, let's say a lot of uh, what you see today, the concepts have come from the Valley, but their uh, innovation around that, adoption around that, scaling around that has happened in the Asian countries, India, China, predominantly. So, um, and then some of the, some of the, uh, let's say, technologies have done better or some of the, than others. So if you look at FinTechs, SaaS, you know, it has, it has really done well, but in, in the Asia Pac region and India in particular, you know. So, so yeah, that's that's what I would say. So it has, depending on you know, if you look at information technology revolution, it has more been in Asia Pac in terms of adoption and scale. Innovation is also coming, but you know, a lot of innovation has come from the valley. But uh, adoption and scale happening in uh, in India. So I think, sir, adoption scale. You know, this brings me to the next question. That is, that is adoption and scale. But for very particular sectors, you know, for example, India has done extremely well in certain areas such as fintech, enterprise solutions, and in business of aggregated models. But in certain areas such as health tech, advanced, for example, health tech, advancements are still in progress. So, what are some of the key factors linked to such asymmetry? I think for. Um... For India, or for them to do well in fintech or enterprise SaaS or aggregator models, is that most of these models, the value chain is can is completely digital. So if you take 
uh, you know, a bank or you know something to do with money, you could theoretically have everything digital. You don't need a physical thing. So if you, for example, opening a bank account, you go online, you open a bank account, your KYC is done online, you know, you get a, a digital uh, app, you get an app, you get a card, done, right? And somehow you transfer the money into uh, into your account and you um and then more what has actually made this possible is that there is there are foundational elements or corner store elements let's let's look at india so if we look at the uh, the jam trinity right jandan adhar mobile now this is something that the government for the first time said we will bring almost half a billion people to mainstream banking so that was one and for that they would say we will open bank accounts and we will also have aadhar and mobile became ubiquitous by let's say just the economies of scale and then again adoption so it so what what that did was that you had a fundamental layer which was created by by an by the government and then the second thing was what is more also very important is that you had an audience or a market or a consumer group which was very eager to adopt because they needed they didn't have solutions for certain things and and when you pre- presented a digital solution they adopted so i'll i'll highlight this because for example if you look at upi uh, it's it's like ubiquitous in india right you everyone you know uh, uh, roadside vendor uh, uh, sugar cane cane juice seller on on the road everyone is expecting accepting those payments if you launched upi in europe or in germany for that matter it wouldn't have the same success despite the technology innovation or because the 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 consumer group customers are not so eager to adopt they are very happy uh, in terms of okay cash payments if it takes two days to you know settle they are they are not very keen uh, on on such so on such um, things are not important to them that that speed you know that that convenience Uh, they are okay to go to um, uh, a supermarket and shop every day rather than have groceries delivered home so you need to have a have the right kind of audience which will kind which will take these services um so now coming back to india and jam trinity right so, so the government b- built built this infrastructure they got aadhar in you know it's not an easy job to digitize uh, you know identities of 1.3 billion people but they did it and then the innovation that happened on top of this was more about distribution customer acquisition uh, customer retention you know making people use these things so that is where that's why i think india has done well if we look at medtech for example you know there is only a part of the value chain that you can digitize right if you want to digitize and let's say an hospital so you can digitize payments again fintech you can digitize Uh, appointments right that is enterprise soft saas right the two, two sectors that you mentioned but if you or if you want to get to a particular doctor then you know a site which offers doctors uh, services and then their reviews and so aggregators but when you have to if you have to complete the transaction you need to physically go if you are wounded and you need stitches it cannot be done digitally at least now reliably and at scale so th- th- those two things it might happen in the future most likely it will but we do we are not there yet so so i think that is the reason it has done extremely well as far as certain uh, businesses or uh, industries goes because the, their complete value chain is digital and not so well or you know it's still kind of in work in progress if you may uh, also regulation so you know health tech is quite heavily regulated so and you are dealing with human lives 
so so that's another thing that you know you need to make sure that you are compliant so that that is my thinking here got it so i think you know i being a doctor and coming from that background i think uh, the main here thing is the thin line between the doctor's skills versus how accurately and efficiently tech can also enable them you know there is no point of replacing that's not possible it's about how they can enable and you know since you talked about the tech layer in the first answer the tech layer is already established similarly i think even in the regulations there are regulations opportunities are there but it's about how tech will ensure how efficiently they can enable the doctors you know and you know coming to coming to your first segment of this answer that is how they morph uh, across different sectors so this brings me to the next question and that is you have worked across various organizations like drdo oracle egon zander adidas heineken and sivantos so tell us how technology morphs across the sectors and more importantly as an investor who does not have a tech background how should they go about understanding the core essence of it so there is there is something so each you know business in today's day and age has technology there so you know whether they want it or don't you know they they have to use uh, they use tech and gartner you know which is the research organization they have they have come up with something called as pace layering so there is like pace layering of applications so and it has three layers basically so one of the layers is the first layer is which is the basic layer is called the systems of record so this is basically your erp crm this is something that you need your basic hygiene to run a business right so this is for operational efficiencies this is for compliance this is for reporting purposes so so this is something common across uh, all businesses then the next layer on top of it is um, systems of engagement so this is where something unique to your business when uh, i say business i mean your company is there so it can be as simple as an e-commerce site it can be as simple as you do customer care on social media you tweet to a company and you know they respond and they open a ticket and they find it uh, it is as simple as it, it it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, tech it is also um, enabled uh, tech first it can be enabled by tech so let's say free returns right so if you send some you buy something you return for free um but then enabling that return process label generation printing all that kind of stuff um so this is and the third is the layer which is called systems of innovation this is where you essentially um essentially innovate for your own business this is gives this doesn't give you your current business uh, uh, current current differentiating advantage uh, across competition this will give you your future uh differentiator from your competition and this doesn't again necessarily need to be um uh, new tech or it can be or new systems it can be an uh, amalgamation of existing tech you know you uh, take two or three things and then in a unique way uh use them for the benefit of your um uh, for your your business right and it helps you to for example monetize your existing assets data is a very good example right you have data how do you monetize it and can you and it is you know that can be a system innovation now when we talk about different um uh, companies as you said you know i work for adidas finiton drdo for they they all operate in different uh, industries so you know defense uh, management consulting software what i have observed is that they are at different level of maturities across these three layers of of basically systems and you know even if they have the same maturity at a particular layer uh, for example if you take the systems of record erp right heineken has an erp and uh, adidas has an erp 
and and you know cement was having happy but because their scales are different their operating models are different even if they have a tech capability which is equally mature the outcomes that you would get uh, from that tech capability could be significantly different and that has nothing to do with the tech it has more to do with their operating model let's say for example so 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 yeah so basically so these are the three layers uh, and that's where the differentiation is and these are uh, and their and organizations maturity across these three layers you know how do they engage um, is is what makes the difference plus of course the scale i think uh, this three layers and the maturity of the companies in correlation to these three layers is the core essence i'll say to understand any tech business so uh, you know this brings to now i'll i'll pick your brain on this that you know as investors what should one be looking at while evaluating the tech startup because the common question of why can't the big tech players do what you are doing mm -hmm. often comes up during the discussions absolutely yeah so i think we have to look look into it from two two perspectives one is the b2b business right where you are selling to business and the other is the b2c where you are directly selling to consumers now i'll focus on b2b um and i think uh so so if if we look there um one has to you know at a very fundamental level see which uh which layer of pace is that business catering to so is it catering to systems of records systems of engagement or systems of innovation now the more you go towards systems of record of course you know every business needs that so let's say a crm a zoho for example they have a crm so but then it is also a very crowded space right because you 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 have a lot of competition the more you go towards systems of innovation uh there is a lot of risk in a in the sense that you don't there are a lot of unknowns right you don't know how the business will ad adapt to your products and services so so that is how we should try to look at you know where which of the three layers of facing is is the is the product or service of a startup trying to um let's say attack or you know acquire when it comes to b to c i think it's much harder to be honest because uh, you can have the best tech you can have the best product but if you don't have the right customer for the product market fit right then um, it is you you can't blame it on tech because you might have been doing the best engineering processes you might have the um, uh, you know all secure systems performant so on and so available no, no no doubt about that but it might still not work so it's a, it's a bit more riskier because you can't attribute uh, the success or failure of a business to tech it, it is it is a necessary but not a sufficient condition let's let's put it that way so in from that perspective i think when we are looking b2c it is more to do with the team which i we you know as of now already does uh, it's more to do with you know what the tech play is is are they using technologies where you can get talent are they uh into uh technologies which are very proprietary and can risk the business because if if the if their vendors let's say go uh bust then then you know can they survive and so on and so forth so i think it's 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 not a simple answer there and to to the question you know okay why can't big big companies do it you know what you are doing absolutely they can do the fact that they have not done till now is predominantly inertia in, in bigger organizations plus maybe they are lacking the context so most of the startup founders that you see you know a lot of them try to solve their own problems right which are very contextual to the geography uh, to the economy to the age group you know to the demographic and that insight big organizations might not have in fact if that 
in my opinion, if that question comes up in a conversation, it's a good question because that means as an investor, a big tech company, if the if your startup is where you're investing in, go does it well, and you believe that it is something that big tech companies could do, then it would become uh, uh, a possible target for acquisition. You know, and I'm saying talking as an investor, I'm not talking as a founder. Uh, so if you look, there was I don't remember there's a Chrome plugin. Uh, which which I, I'm not exactly sure uh, what it did, but Google bought it for four billion. So you know it was the same thing. Google owns Chrome. They could have built a plugin. They didn't, but they bought. So somebody did it, scaled it, and then they bought it over. So I think it. I think it's a it's a good question to have in a conversation. And if that comes up, I mean, in fact, if it doesn't come up, then yeah, maybe you might want to rethink. Uh, so, so yeah, that's that's my point of view on that. So I think, you know, business model, value chain, and again, going to those three layers, you need to evaluate all these three, right? Before making a uh, decision, that's what uh, if we can say to summarize this. So uh, since we talked about business models and uh, how they grow and how they change as they move forward, so should business models adapt to technology or should technology adapt to business models? Because business models, they change, right? As they grow, they will pivot themselves. So what should be the right way? Should technology adapt I, or should business adapt? I think neither because, you know, they are some in some way, both ways, right? Businesses should always keep a lookout on what technology is doing and what is happening and can they use new tech or existing tech for that matter to uh, either increase their revenues, decrease their cost, you know, make themselves more known. Uh, or monetize their existing assets in unique ways, you know. Uh, uh, in the same way, technology startups should also focus um, on, again, in the B2B spaces, um, where they can create tech products and services which add value to the customers. Also, same in the B2C space, you know, is it, um, are we making the life of our consumer or customer easier? Or, you know, and even in a B2B world, right, if you, um, uh, if if you create a product or service, then at the end it's people using those, right? Do we need? Do can we do something that makes those people's lives easier? It's much harder to quantify and evaluate because you know within the business every business works differently. In the B two C world, it's a bit easier because you have analytics. You can you know see how your consumers are behaving. You can test stuff. Um, yeah. So so basically, so that that you know it, it's one doesn't one doesn't adapt to the other it's 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 like a very symbiotic relationship in in my way and you need to keep a watch both sides uh so you know can i can i spin something into a business model or can i use this tech to enable this business model or en enhance this business model if not if it's already enabled wonderful so uh, we talked about technology right uh, we talked about the geography uh, our country then we talked about what are the different sectors you know, who are uh, getting uh, good traction from the technology? We talked about what are the three layers. So let us talk about one synonym to the technology and that is our tech is AI enabled. The word AI is now used with tech almost everywhere. So tell us the real definition of AI enabled technology. Also share some of your experiences of using or building such technology. So. I, I I can't tell you the real definition, but I'll I'll just try to um, in my mind what is the simple definition of AI is that you know a system should be able to decide 
uh, or take a decision on your behalf, right? A piece of software, a piece of hardware, or a combination of both. Now, an autonomous driving is a very classic example, right? It should, the car should be able to drive on its own, not uh, hurt anyone, it should not get into an accident, and uh, you know, make it convenient for you. So, um, now, so so the idea is that a system takes a you know a meaningful and intelligent decisions with a positive outcome for everyone. Uh, now, in order to do that, you need to have a model of a situation, right? You know, if this happens, you know, these are the 10 things that are happening and then you model it somehow. And then you need to have experience in that situation or in some other situation where you can draw inferences from. So, which is essentially data uh, that, you know, you have historical, like, like when we, uh, you know, as a child, if, if, we, if we touch something hot, we know it will go on our finger. So we have a context. So we know, okay. Uh, the uh, utensil was hot, that's why it burned, and the utensil was on a gas stove, so most likely the gas stove is also hot. So you infer from that. So these are this is all data points that you have, and then you infer and they come to a decision. So if that question comes in that uh, okay, our tech is AI enabled, that is brilliant. Then there are two fundamental questions to answer. One is what modeling are you using, and then you do you have the talent to model the situation, and the second is uh, do you have um, do you have the data to actually train those models and test your hypothesis, right? Because, for example, I can say I'll predict the nifty market movement, right, based on AI and tech. So then two things. What model are you using? Do you have the historical data accessible to you for the last whatever 30, 40 years that you can actually predict? If the answer to those questions is yes, and then you have the talent, right? Because everyone cannot do modeling and data science. And then do you have the talent? So I think these three questions, if you answer and the answer is you know reasonably uh, convincing then one could say that you know it is ai enabled i personally don't believe there are a lot of businesses at the moment which are fully ai enabled or you know a package ai enabled it is there is a lot of data driven decision making you take some data you uh, do some uh, analysis and you uh, try to be prescriptive about the future um, but uh, completely autonomous ai I am not aware of, and, and, and I as I as and because of that, I have some experience in conditional data decision, uh, urban decision making, but not anything around AI because I have not dealt with such scales of data. Got it. So you know, most of the startups that we see are more or less similar in their features, uh, offerings, and buildups. So, what's your take on building the key differentiator, which actually becomes the MVP and not an additional to existing features? So I, I think any feature or a set of features that reduce the friction from a user's perspective to decrease, uh, to, um, to, to interact with a uh, service or a, or a product. So for example, uh, if you say, let's say FinTech, consumer payments, right? Um, and you compare you know, Google Pay versus Amazon Pay versus um, Own Pay. Uh, I am not in India, I have not used any of them, so I, I, I don't know. But I can just hypothesize that they're all based on UPI, so it's the same thing, right? You have the UPI ID from one of your banks. Now, I think whichever uh, of these three products would actually reduce the friction uh, of usage of this product will be more successful. Uh, if you look at Amazon, Amazon One Click, or if you are in the Apple ecosystem, if you look at Apple Pay, right? It's just one. once you have put your details in, you're done. You know, across your Mac, across your Apple Watch, across your iPhone. Um, or same Amazon one click is uh, everywhere in the world. You just swipe once and you're done, right? You make a purchase. 
So anything that is decreasing friction towards the usage of the product or a service, I would say um, that should be that would be a differentiating uh, feature. And then how do you kind of refine it? It's not going to be there uh, right there in the in the first go. But the ambition to reduce friction, uh, that if that is a driving a driving philosophy behind a feature among competing products, then I think that is the one to pick for. If if one of the three has uh, uh, let's say one of the three startups that are pitching to you in a similar space and they are thinking about reducing friction, I think that is the right thinking. I think reducing friction and uh, bringing more convenience, right, in the value chain yeah. is something uh, one should look for. So the last question of the session is, please tell us, please tell us one unfiltered piece of advice you have received in your career, which has changed your perspective or has given you detection which you never thought of. Um... That's a very interesting one. Um, so somebody told me almost a decade ago, it's like, it's very, so, and this is, has to do with life in general, career in particular, uh, uh, and, and, you know, growth in various ways and, and so happiness is that if you want to progress, then you, people need to like you. So, and um, it's also, somewhere or somehow mentioned in the book, uh, The Startup of Youth by Reid Hoffman on LinkedIn. Um, it, that realization was very profound, hard to accept at the beginning, but, uh, but it, it really helped me to uh, figure out how to behave uh, and, uh, and how to actually interact with people. And uh, if not be likable at all times, then at least not be um, not likable, let's put it that not um, uh, uh, but uh, have behaviors which which will kind of on, on behaviors on purpose which will uh, let's say make me not like it. So I think that has been quite game changing and quite humbling as an experience because it's uh, at the end it always is it's not the machine but it's the person behind the machine who makes it decision unless it is AI enabled. Let's put it that way, <laughs> and then it's, it's objective completely with no bias. But yeah, so that's that's what has. Uh, been a very key piece of advice. Wonderful. Great to hear, sir. This brings to end of our today's podcast. The conversation enriched us with the understanding of how technology has evolved and how it has morphed across the sectors. We thank you, Mr. Anupam Kaul, for taking time out to share insights on the tech industry, which will help the investors to spot the opportunity to create a larger impact and help scale the industry to achieve its full potential. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. For more Oxano Bytes episodes, you can head to www.oxano.in slash blogs. You can also follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn and YouTube for more updates and insights. Mm-hmm.